Good morning, brothers and sisters. What a privilege it is to be with you here this morning to look in God's Word. If we could turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Um, the task that we have before us this morning is a lengthy one. It's 38 verses, but with God's grace and God's help, uh, we'll try to cover as much as we can um, and receive what we would have from Him. Again, Acts chapter 20. I apologize ahead of time for any mispronunciation of cities or of any saints that are already in glory. Maybe if I remember, I'll apologize to them when we get there. Um, Acts chapter 20, God's word reads as such. And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto them the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts, he had given them much exhortation. He came into Greece and there abode three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him, as he was about to sail into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. And there accompanied him into Asia, Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timotheus of Asia, and Titicus of Trophimus. And these going before tarried for us at Troas. And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of the unleavened bread, uh, of the unleavened bread, and came unto them to Troas five, five, in five days. And we abode seven days. Upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, Ready to depart on the morrow, he continued his speech until midnight, and there were many lights in the upper chamber, where they were gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep as Paul was long in preaching. He, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken, dead, was taken up dead. Paul went down, and fell on him, embracing him, uh, him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. And he therefore was come up again, had broken bread, eaten, and talked a long while, even till break of day, so he departed. And they brought the young man alive, and were not a little comforted. And we went before the ship, and sailed into Asus, and in, there intending to take in Paul, for so had he appointed, minding himself to go afoot. And when he met us at Asus, he took him in and came into Mytilene. And we sailed thence and came the next day over Chios. And the next day we arrived at Samos and tarried in Trogilium. And the next day we came into Miletus. For Paul determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend time in Asia, for he hasted, it were possible for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. And for Miletus, he went to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said to them, Ye know from the first day I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lion in wait of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, 
have showed you and have taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that the bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And, and now, behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and unto the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church which hath, he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone, every one night and day with tears. Now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all which are sanctified. I coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak, and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and he prayed with them. And they all wept sore. And he fell and fell <clears throat> on Paul's neck and kissed them, sorrowing of all the words which he spake. And they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him. Unto the ship. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord and our Father, we're so thankful that we have a Redeemer that purchased us, that paid that heavy, heavy price that shed His own blood on the cross for our sins, Father. We thank You for, for His willingness to do the Father's will. That He didn't divert from Your plans, Father. We thank You that we could stand here this morning as a redeemed people and look into thy word, Father. We would ask that you would place your blessing upon it, Father, upon the ears of the saints. Give us minds of understanding, Father, as we look into thy word. Let your spirit speak today, Father, and let us let our lives be changed. Let us not be like the man of James that beholds himself in the mirror and walks away, not doing anything about what he saw, Father. Let, let us take in thy word and let it have a, an effect in our, every, in our very lives this morning. We ask that your son's name, the Lord Jesus, would be glorified. It is in his name that we do pray. Amen. <clears throat> it's a, a very um, interesting passage that we have to cover this morning. I've been blessed by it, and it has a lot of different themes in it. And we'll try to 
run through them and, and pick out some details um, in specific portions and maybe uh, bypass some with a little bit less detail. Uh, the chapter outline kind of helps me just to understand it. In verses 1 through 5, it's the travels, Paul's uh, missionary trip, or this is the third overall missionary trip from Paul, probably the latter half when he's going now from Troas to, from Ephesus to Macedonia is verses 1 through 5. Verses 6 through 12 have to do with the Lord's, the, the first day of the week, the Lord's Supper and Eutychus, the raising of the dead of Eutychus. Uh, verses 13 through 16, again, the missionary uh, uh, course continues as he travels from Troas to Miletus. Um, and then verses 17 through 35, which is a large portion of the scripture, is the exhortation, Paul's ministry, to the elders of Ephesus. And there's a lot of good information given there. And again, I may be perhaps a little nervous given preaching here to our elders, but it's not just to the elders that this message goes out to. It's also to the benefit of the flock. Um, and we're looking forward to the Lord's blessing in that portion. And then verse 36 through 38, it's a very sorrowful very moving departure that Paul has from the saints, knowing that he won't see them anymore, that they won't see his face any longer. Um, and so let's delve into God's word. Uh, we see that in, in verse 1, we're talking about uh, the events that occurred directly after chapter 19. Right, It's a continuation of that very same story. And we, we recall that there was a, a great uproar is the way that it was described. And it was a, a very, a, a very um, uh, moment that happened in Paul's ministry that it, it would affect him and that he would recall. Um, and he would actually describe it as he, um, he would in, 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 in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He would describe, it's a portion where, where, where he's defending the resurrection, great portion of scripture, but he, he mentions this. Uh, and describes it as fighting with beasts at Ephesus. It was that um, that much enmity there with these people claiming that great is Diana of Ephesus and how they 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 rose up against Paul and his disciples. And you could tell that it was a, a time where there was oppression to the ministry of God. And brother and sister, we're going to reach those times. Every day, it seems like in America that we move further and further away from the freedoms that God has given us that we enjoyed as a nation. And that there seems to be more and more opposition in the church. Now, in other countries, the opposition of the church is great. But this is something that we need to look at the examples that are set forth by the disciples, by Paul, and how they would handle these things. They didn't just flee. He, he, what does it say in that specific, specific verse? He called unto him the disciples... And embrace them. He encouraged them. Even though this thing, it didn't happen, right? It, this obviously was not what we wanted to happen. He would embrace them. And he would encourage them. And that was the life of Paul, wasn't it? Paul would always describe himself in, in Romans and in, in some of the epistles. He would describe Paul, a bondservant. Paul, a servant. Paul, a servant of Christ. Right? He would serve and he would minister unto the saints. And he would gather them. He wouldn't just leave them. You think of the beautiful words of the Lord Jesus Christ found in Hebrews chapter 13. I will never leave thee or forsake thee. He would embrace 
the disciples. And when he had gone over the parts, he had given them much exhortation, right? Much exhortation. So exhortation perhaps is not some, not uh, a word that's used nowadays since our, our English language seems to be moving further and further away from such words, but is pleading, pleading them to do something empathetically, uh, giving them instruction, right? From the bottom of his heart, he's, he's telling them what to do, what they should be doing, how they should be serving, what they should be doing with the messages that he gave them. And he gave them much exhortation, such as we should today be giving much exhortation to one to another, to encourage each other, to grow in the faith, to preach the gospel, um, and again, we, we take Paul as a, as a prime example of what the, the saints should be doing in the assembly. And the, there he came to Greece and he abode there three months. Three months. And this is, this is a, a lengthy time uh, in Paul's ministry that he stayed there in Macedonia where he, he um, surely went into Greece and visited Corinth and various other cities. And what a blessing it must have been for those saints to have the Apostle Paul for three months Imagine that. I, I think of, of uh, the late brother Randy Amos. I used to come here and he used to minister. And personally to me, he was a very big encouragement. As a young lad of 14 and 15 and, and in Camp Horizon, he would, he would teach us for a week straight. And my mind would be, wow, this is, this is overwhelming. This is a lot for me to take in. I, I would have to take notes. And it would be a lot, a lot for, for me to comprehend and retain that, you know, I probably somewhere in some drawer with, with a lot of dust, have some of his old notes that I took during those lessons. And it would be for a week. Imagine for three months having the Apostle Paul, how he would fervently preach the gospel, how he would encourage the saints, and how he would give essentially the message of God directly from God to the believers. Oh, brother and sister, I tell you that we're just as blessed. Even though they had the Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul was doing what at that time? It is believed by many Christian scholars that during this time that he composed a few of the epistles, that he wrote the book of Romans, that he possibly wrote 2 Corinthians, Galatians, in these three months, right? We have those. We have that message from God. We have the completed scripture. And yes, it would be amazing to sit under the teaching of this man, right, that had direct communication with God and, and revealed, right? But in Hebrews, it says that God in, in various manners, in diverse times, and in, in diverse manners, spoke through his prophets, right, through his disciples and prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us in Son, through his Son. The completed word of God is what we have today, something that the prophets of old did not have. You think of those passages of of uh, the prophecies that were given to Daniel and how he, he would, he would tremble at the thought of some of them. And God would tell him, close the book, Daniel. Close the book. This is not for you to understand. This is for something in the future. We have the completed word of God. We have those complete messages. We have all the, the Pauline epistles that God intended for us to have, to structure the church, to, to minister to the saints on how we should act, on what we should do, as far as church structure and church order. Um, and again, Paul was such a blessing, but we are just as blessed to have the completed word of God. I think of the, the longest book in the Bible. When I was young, I thought the longest book in the Bible was 
Psalms. It has the most chapters. It goes on forever. It has uh, individual passages that you could study section by section, but little did I know the book of Psalms is not the longest book in the Bible when you consider word for word. It's actually Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. And I think of the account of Jeremiah that uh, he was he was uh, a prophet that wept. His heart out was for the people. He had such a hard ministry. He was given a message and he would give it to the people and they would reject it. And not only that, he was one of those few prophets that actually got to see the, the, the warnings that God gave to the people actually live out. This didn't happen past his life. He would see the captivity. He would see the people taken away. Anyways, I'm, I'm getting off course here. But Jeremiah, it's described on how we got that book. It says that he wrote it in a scroll. In a scroll. The entire book of Jeremiah. Imagine how long that was. And he would present it. He would send Baruch, his, his scribe, to go present it before the king. The king Jehoiakim. He was not a good king. And he says that while he sat in like his winter loft, Jehoiadi, his, his, uh, one of the king's servants, he opened up and started reading the words of the book of Jeremiah to the king. And it says that after three or four leaves, Jehoiadi just started, grabbed the knife, started cutting the scroll and throwing it into the fire. Oh, but God is so gracious. And he intended us to have that book. That when Jeremiah was told, hey, they burnt the scroll. It says that he grabbed a new scroll and wrote it completely and added some to it. So maybe Jeremiah wouldn't have been the longest book. in the Bible had Jehoiakim's servant, Jehoiadi, not burnt it. But we have the completed word of God. It's here. Are we appreciating it? Are we living it out? Are we spending time in the book. I think it was Brother Mike Atwood, I heard him in a, in, a, in a message, he said, we need to get off of Facebook and get our face in the book, right? This, this little device here called the cell phone, my mom refers to it as the black hole because before you know, and it's not something that, that you do with intent, you start looking at something, an interesting article and it's almost like a drug where it'll feed you another article and you just scroll to it and then the next one and then the next one. Before you know it, you've spent so much time looking at this screen here when we've been neglecting the Word of God, right? All those distractions. Are we appreciating having the complete Word of God, right? I'm sure those saints appreciated having the Apostle Paul, having direct revelation, from from God through the Apostle Paul. Are we appreciating the Bible? All Scripture is inspired. Are we taking it as such? Are we having it rule our lives? Or are we neglecting it and it sits somewhere on a shelf uh, knowing about it and probably just taking, oh, let, let me just be one of those Christians that just, I'll, I'll get my message, my uh, my feeding from the sermons from Sunday morning. Or are we spending time with Christ in the book? There's a few, quite a few characters that are mentioned in, in verse verse uh, four, and these were people that were co-missionaries with the Apostle Paul that he picked up along the way, people that served him and helped him greatly through his through his ministry, and so happens today, right? Somebody starts traveling 
uh, ministering God's word in certain lands, and they'll, they'll end up picking people, picking up disciples. And amen to these brothers and sisters. You think of it, I see Timotheus there, right? That's just a very fancy way of saying Timothy. I do like the way it sounds. Timotheus, he, it says that Paul would desire to see him. Timothy actually went to Paul all the way back when he went to his captivity. He went with him all the way to Rome and ministered to Paul. And it says that he, after his second uh, time that he was locked up, uh, Paul would write to Timothy how he would desire to see him. We don't know if he actually got to see him uh, before he passed, but these these brothers and sis- these brothers were great men that helped the apostle Paul. And such we should help one another. We should help our itinerary workers. We should help the brothers abroad. We should pray for them. We should see what they need. Um, and be involved in, in the ministry for essentially it's all for the building of the church. It's for the same goal, for the same purpose. Now we're going to get into a portion of scripture that, you know, I always found kind of humorous in a sense, not humorous with a lack of respect, but regarding the whole Eutychus uh, situation. But I want to spend most of the time from these verses in, in, in chapter, in verse six through verse 12 regarding the, this, the example that Paul loved, right? It says that they sailed from Philippi after the days of the unleavened bread. So that this is specifically uh, signifying what what time it is, right? And it says they came unto Troas five days, and we abode there seven days. Specifically, here the the author of of the book of Acts, which is Luke, and he's kind of giving the first person account of what's going on. It says that he's specifying, right? Why is he saying that they waited for seven days? Well. Here we see that the answer is, is because of a very important reason. And uh, it's the same reason that we met this morning. It's the, the reason why uh, God ordained this, this meeting. It says, upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together, the first day of the week. When I was young, I didn't understand what was first day of the week. I'm talking about when I was really young. I used to think that Monday was the first day of the week because this is when we had to go to school. Uh, but lo and behold, no, it's actually Sunday. Sunday is the first day of the week when the disciples meant they came together to break bread. To break bread. What is the significance of the first day of the week? Why, why do we do what we do on Sunday morning, right? So the book of Acts, we call it the Acts of the Apostles, but from our studies we, we've realized that it's more the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Right? We're looking at these Old Testament saints, at the foundation of the church, how they conducted themselves, how they met, how they gathered, how they were in obedience to the teachings of Jesus Christ, and how they comported themselves, right? And how they placed significant importance on the first day of the week, where they would meet together and break bread. Our... Um, Friends, the, the Jews that are still subjected to the Old Testament, to the law of Moses, right? Then the day that is of importance to them is the Sabbath, right? The Sabbath day, which is Saturday. It's the last day of the week. The last day of the week. Uh, where did the Sabbath get established? Well, I mean, it's in Genesis chapter 1, right? It says on the seventh day, the Lord rested, and it became a Sabbath day. So there was a time of creation, and then there was a time of rest, right? And then it, it was to be established as a continual uh, part of, of the law. I will point to you 
brother and sister this morning that every commandment that was in the that of the first ten commandments in the the Old Testament is found in the New Testament, with the exception of the Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath. And and, and I, I I'm hundred percent sure that God does this intentionally, right? Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not uh, commit adultery. Those are all in there, right? But keep the Sabbath is not. As a matter of fact, it is recorded that our Lord Jesus Christ performed at least seven miracles on the Sabbath, on the Sabbath, right? To teach a lesson that He is the Lord of the Sabbath, right? It had become of, of a Jewish tradition and it lost all, all, all significance of, of what God had intended and they have gone so far away from it. The day of the Sabbath, right, was the day of rust. The only mention that we find of it is in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 17, where the Apostle Paul is urging the, the, the church there to uh, not fall into these the repetitive traditions of new moons and Sabbaths, right? Which were all a shadow of things to come. They had a purpose. They had importance. But it's just pointing, pointing to this eternal rest that we have, that we're going to receive, right? So the, this eternal rust is where, right? Is it is it in in the creation, right, of, of that was uh, done in the six days, right? No, it's a shadow of things to come. For the believer, Christ is our rust. Did you hear that, Christian? We don't have rust in ourselves. We don't have rust in our own estate. Christ, in Christ, we find rust. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3, it would say, For unto us was the gospel preached. And the, the following verse it says, For we which believed do enter into his rest. Outside of Christ, there is no rest, right? It was a shadow of things to come. Christ is here, and we find our rest in him. So, Going back now to the New Testament church, the first day of the week is the day of significance, the day of importance to us. It's not of creation, but it's of redemption, something that we considered this morning. It's the redemptive work of Christ. It is the day where we break bread, and we're going to see. It is the day where the birth of the church occurred. Did you know that? The day of Pentecost, right? We read that in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit would descend and, and be given to the church. That was the day of Pentecost. That was on the first day of the week. And don't be confused by Pentecost. You go back in the book of Leviticus and study the, the Feast of Jehovah. But after seven Sabbaths, the day after will be the day of Pentecost, right? Um, it is the day that Christ rose from the dead. You recall that, right? He was, he was buried. He remained in the tomb. And then he rose again on the... First day of the week, you, you read the accounts in the, the Gospels where Mary Magdalene would go to the tomb and the stone would be removed. It was specifically say on the first day of the week, the day where Christ rose from the grave. It's also the, the day where he showed himself to his disciples, with the exception of one where they would see him. He revealed himself for the first time to his disciples and to that doubting Thomas seven days later, exactly on the first day of the week. He would show himself to Thomas. It is the day of the Lord's Supper. Maybe we'll read those beautiful words in, in Corinthians, right? Where it quotes the Lord Jesus. And we in obedience this morning, 
some in Second Corinthians. For it says in verse 24, And when he had given thanks, he brake and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the same manner he took the cup, and when he had supped, he said, saying, This is the cup of the New Testament in my blood. Do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. We came this morning to remember the Lord Jesus Christ in obedience to his commandment, right? This, this, his physical body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. And oh, how important, there's nothing more important for the believer, for the Christian to do, is to gather and break bread in remembrance of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christians, when they meet, we should break bread and remember the Lord. Remember that the term Christians in, in Acts chapter uh, 11, it was first came up in, in Antioch. It says that the disciples gathered, the disciples gathered, um, and they were called Christians, right? They were named because they were like Christ. And they would get together and we would break bread as often as we meet. There's, there's a, a genuine sense of when we come to the Lord's table that we are refreshed. Refreshed in, in a few different ways. When we consider our worthlessness, and I believe that was done this morning, right? How unworthy we are to be here, to be redeemed, that God would, would consider what is man, that thou art mindful of him, that we were out at enmity with God at one point, and that God being worthy, right? Worthy, worthy is the lamb. You consider that passage in Revelation when you're, they're, they're asking who is worthy, right? The question of worth. And here will come Jesus Christ. The lion of the tribe of Judah, but he came as a lamb, as if it had been saying he's worthy, right? And in a sense, when when we come together and we see the the bread, it's not a literal, not the literal body of Christ. There's some some beliefs and some sects that all oh, that the body be, it becomes the body of Christ when you put it in your mouth. No, no, no. It's just a representation, right? Christ said, "I am the door." He didn't mean that I am a frame of wood. And by me, you're going to enter a physical door. No, he said, I am the door. It's something of representation. It says, take, this is my body in the bread. This is my blood in the cup. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Isn't that what we considered this morning? As we look upon the bread, he bear our own sins on his own body on the tree. That we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness. And by whose stripes you are healed. Right? This is Peter here quoting a little bit from Isaiah. And that's what we do this That's what we did this morning. And that's something that the believer uh, needs, to, needs to not miss. Needs to prioritize. Needs to be refreshed anew every day by the, the word of God. And I've gone too far on one subject here. Let's go on to Eutychus. I think there's a few uh, good object lessons that could be glean from this interesting story of this man. It says in verse 8 that there were many lights in the upper chamber. It's important to notice that the where they were meeting was probably a home. It had multiple floors in the upper chamber. It says that there were many lights. The church is not the building, brother and sister. It's not these these bricks. We have a pretty humble-looking building, right? I've seen some, some uh, 
church buildings that have that are astronomical in architecture. They're very extravagant, but the Lord is not there just because it looks extravagant. Uh, there's this enormous Mormon-looking temple. I think it's like on, on Griffin and 75. It's impressive if you ever look at it up close. But that is not the church, right? The church is the congregation of believers. And here they would meet in homes. And there were many lights. As there should be in any church. It says, uh, you are the light of the world. A city set on the, uh, on the hill cannot be hid. The believer needs to be shining lights. And it's good that there were shining lights there. And then they were gathered together. As the congregation of believers gathers together. There sat in the window a young man named Eutychus. He was young. He was a man. His name was Eutychus. If you look up the meaning of Eutychus, it means fortunate or well off. And here was this, this poor soul being fallen asleep. And here in a congregation full of lights, full of believers that are burning with the Spirit, here's a man that starts falling asleep. And it happens. It's a sad, sad to see when we see young men leave the assembly, start falling away attending less and less, getting less and less involved. Before you know it, they're falling out the door. It happens a lot when they go to college, when they gain some independence. And I'm not saying that this was the case of Eutychus, but for just an object lesson, we're going to go in that direction. It says that he being falling asleep, right? And maybe shame to the brothers and sisters that were around them, right? If, if we notice that somebody's struggling, we need to go to them and we need to, to see what's the matter, see how we could encourage such an individual. And it happens in, in, in three, it's almost in three stages. He started falling asleep, then he got into a deep sleep, and then he fell, right? He was to start off in a bad, bad location. Um, there was a time when, when I think Isaac was, was barely two, and he, he would just fall asleep, and he, I, we heard crying one morning, I get up, pick him up, he was crying, I put him back in bed, he fell off the bed, right? It happens to little kids. The next morning, when he woke up, he had like a bunch of dry blood running down his face. And of course, I'm cleaning it really quick before I know sees it and gets mad at me. Um, but it was just in a bad situation. So from there on, we, we would always check on the kids and they would always fall asleep on the edge. We would roll them up to the middle. You shouldn't, no believer should place themselves in, in a compromising position, right? Perhaps he was confident. Confidence is is not the, the best thing for a believer. To have confidence in one's own self is a dangerous position to be in, right? Why is he in a compromising position and in not the right state of mind? Scripture warns us, take he, if whoever thinketh that he standeth, take heed lest he fall, right? Pride, the fall comes, uh, pride comes right before the fall is this, the statement that's always made. And here's this man, Eutychus, probably confident in his, that he could position himself in, in, in next to the window. He fell. He fell from the third floor and he was taken dead. Now, by the grace of, of God, Paul was there and he went down, right? Isn't, isn't this the, the, uh, the reaction that believers should have somebody when they're falling away into sin, that we should go to them, plead with them, uh, tell them where they're wrong, and, and try to receive them with open arms if they repent. Isn't this what we do when so, that happens to somebody? With tears, we go down to them. Isn't that what Christ did for us while we were down in the miry clay? He came to us when Adam sinned, 
And he was, it was God who went seeking Adam. It was not the other way around. It is God who's constantly seeking. And so we should go and, and, and not stand up on our pride. Why did you do this? Why did you do that? But no, with compassion, go down. Go down and try to uh, encourage the individual. He fell down on him. And Paul went down and fell on him, embracing him. He said, trouble not yourselves. For the life is in him. And amen that the, the life was in him. He died, right? You fall from the third story, you died. But Paul would go and raise him from the dead. And the, the encouraging thing about this, this, this passage is not, not necessarily, yes, Paul fell on him almost in, in, in an Elisha type of uh, manner where he would uh, raise up from the dead that widow's son. But he... he Look at the, uh, verse 12, it says, um, or verse, verse 11, they still, they, they finished the meeting, right? How important was the Lord's Supper? They still broke bread and still spoke a long while. But Paul's ministry was not stopped by this, this event, which you think would be a big, big thing that would change things. No, the ministry still per- continues, but it says they brought the young man. It's not that Paul brought the young man alive. It says that they, as a congregation, as a whole, when somebody repents and is restored, we receive him with open arms. And the, the wording in the King James is perhaps a little strange. It says, and they were not a little comforted. They were basically, they were very comforted. They were relieved that he was alive, that he was well. And so we should be relieved when we receive somebody, when somebody repents. In the church's ministry, only can dead, is the only, the only way that dead sinners can be brought back to life. The only way that a fallen brother could be restored through the church and through the help of the Holy Spirit. Um, we didn't get nearly as far. Let me skip uh, a portion just because I, I feel like we, we do need to cover uh, some of the, the latter verses from 17 onward. So in verses 13 through 16, he travels from Troas to Miletus. And then let's get to the portion where he is exhorting the the um, the elders um, of Ephesus, where he has a meet, probably like thirty six miles Miletus is from Ephesus, and they come and they meet him, and he he tells them how he humbly served before them for many for for years, right? And and he withheld nothing. It says in verse in in verse twenty that he kept nothing, and in verse uh, twenty seven it says I sh- I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God, right? God uh, Here Paul is telling them, I revealed everything. I was just basically a mouthpiece for the one on high. Whatever he told me, I told you. I hid nothing, nothing for my benefit. I basically told you everything. And he's exhorting them to continue. He breaks the news to them um, of of you know, his departure to Israel and what's going to happen to him there. I want to quickly point out in verse 21 what he testifies of. He goes, I testifying both to Jews and to Greeks, or some translations will say Gentiles, the repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel does not change. He's been telling them this message. He has no discrimination of, of race, ethnicity, or religion. He's saying that repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that the two sides of one coin? 
for somebody to come to salvation, right? Repentance, right? It's a repentance. It's, it's a change of attitude where you, you recognize your state, your helpless state, how sinful you are before a holy God and you're at His mercy. And, and faith in Jesus Christ is the only place where we could stand and rely on the justice of God to be carried out where He would look upon the sacrifice and the work of His Son and I could stand upon His merit, right? I know no other stand. And could be saved, then the justice of God will be carried out. For He is a holy and just God. And He's re- reminding them again, He's exhorting them about the gospel, which He would divert not from, that He would pe- preach fervently through His ministry. Um, we're going to skip the verses where, where He's um, telling them about, about what's going to happen to Him in Jerusalem. But I, I would point out, the fact that he, the verses, if you if you consider, and I encourage you for you to do this in your own time, verses twenty four and twenty five, where he's where he's talking about finishing the course. Compare those to what he tells Timothy that I, I fought the good fight. He's finishing the course. He's he's gone strong for the ministry of God. He did everything uh, that God commanded him to do. As the believer should strive to do that very just thing. In verse 20, 28. It's a very, very moving verse and a verse that the elders and all the flocks should consider. It says, take heed therefore unto yourselves. He's speaking to who? Is he speaking to the congregation? No, this is an exhortation straight directly to the elders of Ephesus. Take heed therefore unto yourselves first. Right? If the elders themselves are not taking heed themselves first, right? If they're not in correct fellowship, if they're not in correct standing and communion, if they're not walking in the light as he is in the light, as it would be described in First John, how are they supposed to supervise? How are they supposed to look over the flock of the believers? Take heed unto yourselves and unto all the flock, right? First themselves, and then there should be overseers over the flock, which the Holy Ghost had made the holy Ghost had made you overseers. Did we elect any of our elders here? Do you ever question why? Why we don't hold votes, right? Hopefully there will be no, no uh, voting fraud. It's, it's, it seems to be a point of contention. Why don't we cast votes? Because then it would be a choice of man. You would choose an eloquent person. It's perhaps somebody better looking than my brother. There's a lot of people here. <laughs> And somebody that, that would just, oh wow, a people pleaser. But no. It's this choice from the Holy Spirit that the elders are anointed. Isn't it amazing how we see the, the way we do things in the assembly today? Is if it's aligned with the scripture, it gives me confidence that we're doing things the right way. Um, to feed the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. And I tell the flock this, as I am part of the flock, we need to pray for our elders. They have burdens upon them that we don't realize they have. They have duties, that they ministries that they carry out, and it's hard for them, hard on their families, hard on time, hard on their kids. We need to be praying for the elders, for the supervision of the church. And we need to realize that they have a great ministry, but it's a great burden. 
And it says that they are to feed the church. They need to feed the flock, which God purchased with his own blood. And here comes the great mystery that it's hard, hard to grasp, hard to understand it. Help me to understand it. Help me to take it in, right? This is the mystery that God, the immortal one, if you think, if it's an immortal God, he's a spirit, how can he die? How can he shed his blood? Right? The answer to that lies, right? In trying to understand it in the beginning, God, Elohim, right? He, he, he has different persons in, in one Godhead. Let us make man in our image. In the beginning, plural God created the heavens and the earth. And here is, um, I think, Dar, uh, if you have a, a Darby translation, it would read... Um, so and it says that he, which he purchased with his own blood, in the Darby translation, I think, of the blood of his own, right, of Christ. That is the mystery that God would take on flesh in the form of Jesus Christ, and he would walk this earth. He was a babe that was born to die, right? And he would be obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, and he would shed his blood. Oh, what a blessing it is. To consider these things this morning, brothers and sisters, I know there's a lot of of, of this, the portion that we didn't cover, uh, but our time is gone. Uh, let's look to the Lord for guidance as we depart. Our gracious Lord and our Father, we're so thankful for this mystery that Jesus Christ took on flesh, that walked the earth, that was not moved aside. He he kept his his eyes set on on Calvary. He would not deter. He was obedient unto death, even the death of a cross. Let us have that mind, as Paul would instruct, let this mind be in you, which is in Christ also, Father. Let us uh, take heed to thy word. Let us pray for the flock, for our elders, Father. We pray for them. We ask that you would encourage them and strengthen them, that you would guide them, Father, through difficult times, as, as wolves would always look to arise within the church and from without the church. Through these, these hard times, Father, we pray that Lord Jesus would come quickly, Father. We look for His coming. We thank You for His resurrection, for the surety of salvation that we have in Him. We pray for the assembly, for all the saints that are here with us this morning, Father. In Your Son's most precious name we pray. Amen.